Amen. Well, good morning again, everybody. <clears throat> I think uh, Leon Amit is probably still coming. I don't know about Tom. I texted Tom this week. I know he had a little car trouble with his brakes, and uh, so hopefully he got that fixed. But uh, anyway, I'm excited about the the Marcy and the Matt. What's the last name? Lewis. Lewis. So I'm excited to see you guys again. <clears throat> So, uh, got just a little bit of paperwork here. Sorry about that. But yeah, if you want to turn to your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 18, we are walking through. Um, I got this from you, Jim. Did you leave a hard copy here too? Mm-mm. Okay. Where was that at? You emailed it to me. Oh, uh, right, right. But... Yeah. Yeah, I don't need it right now. Okay. So there's that. And all right. This was this this total. That's the receipt for that. So, yeah, so does everybody have a handout? This is actually a famous part of Jeremiah chapter 18. It, it talks about the potter and the clay. So there's just really a good application here, I believe, today. So I'm excited about it. We uh, started in January of this year going through the book of Jeremiah, and we're trying to do one chapter a day, or a day, a week. And so we're up to chapter 18 in the book of Jeremiah. And if you remember, I I was going to bring the famous candy bar bonus questions. But uh, does anybody remember what Jim's message was about last week? Like what book of the Bible did he talk from? Come on now. I listened to it. I think all of you were here. Second Peter. (laughs) Emmett got it. Good job. And I thought it was just a really catchy uh, title of Let's Get Growing. Is that what it kind of the subtitle? Let's Get Growing. So anyway, uh, I did watch that this week and so uh, it was really good thank you Jim for covering for me uh, I think only twice a year I have to work on a Sunday and then so that was once I think the next time is in September so so I'll miss then as well <clears throat> but here in Jeremiah I guess I got you another one I knew I had I knew I had one already three. do you have three? Oh, yeah. oh my goodness so if somebody would read the first couple of verses of Jeremiah 18 and then we'll talk about that out loud you got to read it out loud (laughs) yeah we're all reading (laughs) the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying arise and go down to the potter's house there I will cause thee to hear my words all right. Well, uh, I just thought it was very interesting, these two verses. Uh, God calls uh, Jeremiah to rise and go down to this potter's house. And of all things, uh, what does he cause him to do down there? Here's words. Yeah, so the word here goes in your blank. I gave you some blanks. That's me. Oh. It looks like um, 
he works. Yeah, he's got to keep that with him. Anyway, <clears throat> I'm not sure who that was, but so anyway, it, it's it's funny. Uh, do do you know? Uh, it's in. It's in uh, Lamentations where, where the Bible says that uh, his eye affects his heart, and and and, and you know uh, when we see something, some things just touch our heart that we see, and that's kind of what's happening with Jeremiah. He goes down to the potter's house, and he watches this potter work with this clay, and what that does is it causes him to hear God's word by what he's seeing. Isn't that, isn't that kind of cool, the way he does that? Yeah, we're totally like that. We're visual people. Yeah, so he hears God's word by what he's seeing. And so that's why I wanted you to, you know, at least uh, make a mental note that it's saying that uh, this potter's house is where Jeremiah is going to hear God's word. <clears throat> and uh, it, it in verse... In verse 4, well, somebody read 3 and 4 for us if they would. Jeremiah 18, 3 and 4. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the, on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he, he made it again another vessel as seemed good to the potters to make it. Thank you. And uh, if, you, if we'll hold our place here, <clears throat> there's a couple verses I want us to look at. One is Psalm 40. This is a famous verse, and uh, most of you know the man that led me to Christ is named Royal. And this is one of his favorite verses in uh, Psalm chapter 40 and verse 2. It talks about the clay. And so when I was a new Christian, uh, it was 1992 in Peculiar, Missouri that I gave my life to Christ at Royal's house. And it was shortly after that that he uh, showed me this verse. In Psalm 40, verse 2, The uh, it says, this is a Psalm of David. It says, He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And so David is claiming, you know, God has pulled me up. And if, if you ever, uh, I mean, I remember used to when we fed cattle in, in the spring, it gets so muddy, uh, especially around the feed bunks where the cattle have tromped and everything, and if you don't have gravel. And I think one time I actually walked out of my boots. Have you ever done that? Where you take a step and your boots in the mud behind you. So I kind of picture this here that David's saying, God, you, you pulled me out of that and you put my feet on the solid rock. And uh, the New Testament says that Jesus is our rock. So there's just some really good application to us. And uh, before we get back to Jeremiah 18, stop off at Isaiah. Isaiah 52, this is a prophecy about the Lord. Isaiah 52. There's a lot that the Bible says about clay, but what do you think? I, I didn't look this up, but what do you think the word marred means? Yeah. Uh, not, not perfect. I mean, we don't really use that. 
But look, look at Isaiah 52, because it uses this word here. It's in 52.14. It says, As many were astonied at thee, his visage, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. And this is a prophecy about Christ. Uh, and at his crucifixion, he was so marred. It says his visage, his visage, how he looked, was so uh, damaged by the the uh, punishment he was taking for our sins. It says that the writer here was a stonied, and you know, uh, in, in the in the drug world, we talk about somebody getting stoned, and it's just like. You know, you just kind of go blank, right? I guess, and uh, you become as a stone is what a stonied mean. <clears throat> and so th- this guy, like he looked in the, uh, this prophecy of Christ that he was so marred, and so uh, as we're talking in Jeremiah eighteen now. In fact, there's a verse in Jeremiah 13. I don't know if you guys remember this from a few weeks ago. Jeremiah 13. It uses this word marred again. You remember when God told him to wear a girdle and then take it and go put it in the bank of the Euphrates River? That girdle got marred here in 13.7. 13.7 of Jeremiah says... Then I went to Euphrates and digged and looked and took the girdle from the place where I had hid it. And behold, the girdle was marred. It was profitable for nothing. And so, yeah, so marred has to do with being damaged. So now go back to Jeremiah 18 and we'll look at this. So the potter had made this vessel and the vessel uh, became marred. And in verse 4, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred. And now let me ask you this, because in just a minute, we're going to see that this clay is kind of personified. And what I mean by that is it's going to describe God as the potter. And when it says that the vessel was marred, this vessel did this to itself. God didn't, the potter didn't mess it up is what I'm trying to say here at this point. This this clay kind of has a mind of its own. And so that would be pretty weird, wouldn't it, that uh, if clay was actually a living thing. But that's how it's described here. It's like God is trying to form this clay, but it was marred. And... Uh, you know what? Uh, I've got a video for you. It's a four-minute video. This I was going to wait till the end, but I'm guessing some of you might have to go. Let me let me play this video for you. I thought it was pretty cool. I'm going to see if I can get it started back up again. The the screen died on me. Oh yeah, there it goes. <clears throat> Let's see here. Yeah, just give me just a minute, Chuck, and I'll uh, get this going. You can hit the light in just a minute. 
it makes me think of Antiques Roadshow where they have a vessel, a pot or something, and the glaze didn't come. Ah. And they say, well, if it was perfect, it'd be worth a whole lot more. <laughs> ah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, second here. Step one, count in throwing a pot on the potter's roof. Each of them shows something about us and God. Step one, bound the clay. The technique is called sintering. The whole purpose of this step is to bring the clay to the point of workability. If the piece loses its balance, often the potter must begin again. The potter's hands are both placed on the clay. His left arm is firmly wedged against his body, and his left hand is against the closest part of the clay. His right hand is on the far side of the clay. The clay flows between his hands. Now the grip becomes firmer, and the right hand moves toward the left. As the clay responds, his hands move upward and The clay fights back. Suddenly, the struggle is over, and the ball of clay is balanced. God, as the potter, is seeking balance in your life. He wants to center you. You will be at rest. When does God stop the centering process? When the struggle ceases, when you rest in the potter's hand. Step two, the clay is opened. In order to open the clay, the potter must find the center of the clay. He does this by first taking just a few dribbles of water and letting it flow over the clay. Then he places both hands on the sides of the clay with his thumbs gently riding on the upper surface. And then, as the clay is spun, his thumbs, again very gently, ride the surface of the clay to the center of the spin. As he reaches the center, his thumbs stiffen and carefully push downward. A small indentation is now at the very center of the clay, leaving one hand to remain along the side of the clay. The potter takes his other hand and places his forefingers in the indentation and pushes down. The goal is not to dig the clay out, but to move the clay. The clay, if it has been centered correctly, opens creating thick walls between his thumb and the remaining fingers. The lump of clay is now a vessel. The change has begun. The potter then rechecks it for balance. Now he is ready to move to create a strong base. He takes one of his sponges and cleans out the interior of the spinning clay. To be open before the Lord means that you are now willing to be controlled. You are open as his vessel. Step three, the clay is lifted up. Once the clay is opened, the potter quickly moves to lift the clay into a tall cylinder. This is the beginning of the fragile stages of the pot's formation. The clay is fragile because during the lifting of the clay, the walls are thinned. As the potter pushes upward, the clay begins to rise. Both hands cause and follow this movement. Like a wave moving toward the shore, the clay moves upward, growing, always rising. The aim of the potter is not to force the clay, but to grow the moving clay towards a single point. When the inside of the cylinder is growing correctly, the outside takes care of itself. Remember Peter's words, So be humble under God's powerful hand, then he will lift you up when the right time comes. 1 Peter 5, 6 God, by his mercy over your life, has caused your heart to be open to his plan. Now release yourself to be lifted up. 
He will focus on the inside of you, and then He will present you ready to be shaped for your final calling. Step 4. Shaping the Clay The tall cylinder spins before the potter. It is ready to be shaped. The shaping of the clay is where the art of the artist is truly seen. It is the time when the potter slows the wheel down and spends very specific detailed time with the clay. In fact, the clay stands very fragile in the potter's hands. The slightest wrong movement from the potter will result in a full collapse of the pot. His eyes never leave the clay. Slowly, very slowly, the clay takes the shape the potter has in mind. Each stroke in shaping is small. Sometimes, when the potter looks into the pot, the water in the base reflects his face. The potter sees himself as the clay is shaped. Now, instead of a cylinder, there is a foot, a base, a body, a neck, a mouth, a lip. Each part is important to the final plan. Each part is shaped exactly according to the vessel's purpose. When he has finished, the wheel becomes a quiet platform where the potter looks at his art. He smiles. You are at some stage with God as potter of your life. Remember Paul's word, we all show the Lord's glory and we are being changed to be like him. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. This is rice. Think it's good for you? Think again. <laughs> well, we could probably, yeah, go ahead, Chuck, just turn that on. We could probably just go home now. That was good, wasn't yeah. it? I like that line that said that when the inside is done properly, the outside just happens. Just yeah. Words. Yeah. Oh, that was really cool. Yeah. That's true. He, a lot of times I feel like the devil works from the outside in, but God always works from the inside out. Any, any other comments about that? Um, anything that really stuck out to you? Well, just good, this uh, four stages there. It was... I looked at several videos, and that one just kind of seemed to stick out. One thing that he said something about trying to find the center. Yeah. That uh, if the clay resisted, uh, then it whatever it did fell apart, whatever, and the potter would have to start over. Yeah, it would be essentially be marred, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but. Um, yeah, I mean, just even from being centered and having that solid uh, platform. And <clears throat> uh, my point here, we don't need to necessarily look them up, but, uh, <clears throat> you know, the name Adam means red earth. And so we know he was made from the dust of the earth. So he's kind of like uh, our natural man is this clay. And, and then when we're uh, born again, when we accept Christ... Uh, we have his nature, and uh, Paul talks about Jesus being formed in us. I, I think that's just a, relates to the clay as well. So, lots of things about uh, clay here. And in verses five and six, somebody read Jeremiah verses five and six, chapter eighteen. Uh, Pam Anderson, do you have that one? No, not yet, because I went to Galatians. Yeah. Okay. Eighteen what? Uh, yeah. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, 
cannot I do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand, O house of Israel. Right, so so even though this clay was marred, it says that he has the ability to remake you. And that, that uh, he, he's talking to Israel here historically. It's what Pam said at the end of verse 6, O house of Israel. And he says, you know, I could do this for you just like the potter did with the clay. I could remake you. And then uh, verses 7 through 10, uh, I'll read those for us. It says, At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it. If it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. And so it so now it turns from this potter and clay to God and his kingdom of Israel. And uh, so it's the, the choice is kind of left up to the clay. Are you going to obey and let me bless you or will you disobey and I'll have to uh, pronounce evil upon you. So uh, in verses 7 through 10, mercy is offered if God's words are heeded. And I gave you a couple of teaching points on your handout. I know uh, those of you at home can't uh, see this. Let me know if you need a handout later. But uh, I, I found this little. Uh, there's a there's a website I look at for some uh, message illustrations, and it it said a clay pot sitting in the sun will always be a clay pot. It has to go through the white heat of the furnace to become porcelain. And I kind of wondered, you know, where we get porcelain from. But I I guess it's like clay pottery that's went through a, a fiery furnace and so uh, we can kind of connect that with with the fiery trials and the heat of of the storms that we go through <clears throat> and so that's how porcelain is made it it, it doesn't just sit uh, naturally and become porcelain it has to go through something and I, I gave you <clears throat> some verses here there's other places in the Bible and we won't look all these up but I gave you a teaching point here. It says, Just as Israel will be made again into another vessel, so a lost man or woman can be made into another vessel. By falling upon the rock, the potter's wheel uh, is likened to Jesus here. The water of the word, the Bible talks about the Bible being like the water. It moistens and softens you and makes you flexible. And once tender, God applies gentle pressure with his Holy Spirit until Christ be formed in you. That's the Galatians 4.19. And Paul explains that people who have Jesus Christ dwelling in their hearts are like earthen vessels that now contain a treasure. And I gave you the verse there. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power of God uh, may be of God and not of us. And so it's really quite a quite a contrast. This this shell of uh, 
our flesh, it actually houses the most precious treasure in the universe, Christ living in us. And I gave you a, a reference there from Judges. We won't go there, but do you guys remember the story of Gideon's 300 that the defeat the Midianites? And they do it by night, and they what they do is they put a light in a, in a clay vessel, a pitcher it calls it, and as they go out to fight the enemy, at, at Gideon's signal, they, they break the pitchers, and the, it lets the light shine out. And the Midianites are so, it's kind of a shock and awe, like the hillside's got all these lights. You know, we have to flee and run. And and I think it's Gideon's 300, and there's close to 135,000 Midianites. It's like 450 to 1. It's, it's uh, just like uh, Elijah faced. And so anyway, uh, it's just an illustration of us that we have this earthen vessel with Jesus Christ, the light of the world. And when we, we, when we become broken, we expose the light of Christ and he shines out for, from us and we can overcome the enemy. So it's really a cool, cool thing to think about this potter and clay and Israel and the Lord and, and, our, and ourselves, how he wants to form us and shape us and work inside of us to make us this uh, beautiful thing. So uh, when uh, yeah, when Angie and I were first married, uh, I wasn't in high school when we dated, uh, but she worked at a it was a ceramic shop, right? Mm-hmm. Was it with Wanda or yeah? Mm-hmm. So anyway, they made <coughs> ceramic things and I think they more poured them into molds so they weren't really rounded a lot of them but anyway she made me a little football player and painted it with my football number and I mean she didn't know me when we played football but uh, anyway so I still have this little (laughs) ceramic football player at at our house uh, that she she at least painted for me and then they fired it through the kiln and all that and so anyway, it's a, it's a good little keepsake. Oh yeah, the prices. <laughs> so. Anyway, well, this uh, next section, any other thoughts about that? I mean, this is kind of the theme today, this potter and the clay. And, uh, well, let, let's read 11 through 17 here. Actually, somebody just read 11 and 12 if they would. Got it, Jim? Yep. Now therefore go to, speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I frame evil against you, and devise a device against you. Return ye now every one from his evil way, and make your ways and your doings good. And they said, There is no hope, but we will walk after our own devices, and we will every one do the imaginations of his evil heart. Yeah, so all of us have a, a free will, and that's what God is offering them. You know, speak to the men of Judah, and if they'll listen, you know, great. I want to work with you. And but in verse twelve, they say to to him, to Jeremiah, and ultimately to God, we will walk after our own devices, 
and we will every uh, we will every one of uh, do the imagination of his evil heart. So anyway, they kind of thumb thumb their nose at God here, and they're going to go their own way and do their own thing, and uh, that doesn't go well for them. So. Uh, Look at verse 13 and 14. Jim, why don't you read those as well because he gives an example here. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Ask ye now among the heathen who hath heard such things. The virgin of Israel hath done a very horrible thing. Will a man leave the snow of Lebanon which cometh down from cometh from the rock of the field? Or shall the cold flowing waters that come from another place be forsaken? Yeah, so uh, at the end of verse 13, he says, you decided to do this foolish thing, and it's like the heathen do. So I had you put the word heathen in your blank there. The heathen would do such, uh, or, or not even the heathen would do such foolish things, uh, because it would be like, someone who's really thirsty and you're offering him cold waters they're like no I'll get it I'll get my drink some other place so it's uh, you know none of us would do that um, in fact it, it was kind of uh, last night at the game uh, we, uh, Pat and I went and we went with another man and so there was three of us, but me and the other the other man hadn't been to a Royals game since he was a teenager, and he's about forty, so it's been twenty years. So the you know the whole outfield or uh, behind the outfield, behind the scoreboard, has really got a lot of things for kids. And anyway, we did a lot of walking. It was humid. I was thirsty, and so I paid five dollars and something for a bottle of water, <laughs> just like this one for you know twenty cents or whatever we pay for it. And so, you know, when you're thirsty, you want, you know, you want what quenches and what satisfies. And God is offering them that. And they they say, no, we're going to just follow our own devices. So that's what they do. And there's consequences here in 15 through 17. And uh, I guess we can read these. Uh, verse 15 says, because my people have forsa- forgotten me. They have burned incense to vanity, and they have caused them to stumble in their ways from the ancient paths to walk in paths in a way not cast up, to make their land desolate and a perpetual hissing. Everyone that passeth by shall be astonished and wag his head." I will scatter them as with an east wind before the enemy. I will show them the back and not the face in the day of their calamity. Now, uh, it says that they're going to be scattered before their enemy. Who is their enemy that is talked about in verse 17? I should make this a bonus question. I know Jim got it. Anybody else? Who is... Who is Israel's enemy that they're getting ready to go into captivity? <clears throat> Jim said it's Babylon. So Babylon is coming in from the north, and they have the city besieged. And uh, the Lord's saying that he's going to scatter his people before the enemy. And some end up dying by the sword, some by pestilence, some by famine. But a remnant gets taken 
<clears throat> and they go into captivity for 70 years and that's coming up uh, I know it's at least by chapter 30 so we're, we're that's where we're working toward where uh, for Judah goes into captivity. So on the back page of your handout, I give you a teaching point here. And uh, let's let's go to 2 Timothy. Let's all go to 2 Timothy. I want us to see this before we comment on my teaching point. Because we said that this pottery, this clay becomes uh, personified it, it's at, and so Judah is deciding as the clay and God is the pot, their potter they're deciding I'm going to do my own thing and I'm going to be marred just like this pottery is marred and God wants to reshape them and put them back on the wheel and you, you couldn't see on that video but the the older, I mean, when we were in Branson, we we watched a little bit of that clay pottery being made, and you know they have electric motors and a belt that you know drives the wheel now, and they can speed it up or slow it down. But but back in the day, in in Bible times, uh, that's why it said uh, wheels plural. You know, it's got the centering wheel that you put the clay on, but underneath. I think the potter has to like pedal a bicycle or maybe like a sewing machine or somehow there's a wheel underneath there that he has to operate so he's using his feet and his hands and so it it's uh it's work what what's being done here so in 2 Timothy uh Pam uh, uh, Jackson do you have that uh, 20 and 20 or 19 and 20 I'm sorry, 20 and 21 of 2 Timothy? 2. Yeah. I wasn't saying, I was looking at the wrong numbers. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor, some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel of honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Mm. Yeah, so I don't know quite how all this works, but uh, you know they would have many vessels in in their homes, and they might wash their feet with some. They might have wastewater in some. They even have golden vessels, you know, that you know maybe set on the mantle, kind of centerpieces. And so, uh, but the Bible's saying that we are vessels, and if we purge ourselves from impurities, if we purge ourselves. Uh, from uh, filth of this world then it it purges us and we become honorable we become sanctified and what does it mean uh, to be meat for the masters why why does it say meat what does that mean it means ready to be used Okay. so you don't put porcelain you know when you have Thanksgiving you get your nice little porcelain platter and you put your turkey on it there you go. You use your porcelain, your toilet is porcelain, and that's a vessel to dishonor. So you have your honorable vessel of your turkey fire. And, you know, so that's where I get from what has been said in the past. Of, 
That's good. That's good. Very good. Uh, that needed a lady's touch there. Thank you. And uh, we're working with a couple with doing some premarital counseling right now. And this came up in our, because uh, in the story of Adam and Eve, uh, it wasn't good that Adam be alone. I will make and help meet for him. So he used this same, the same phrase or the same word with uh, the wife. And uh, yeah, I like your word ready but it also means fitting like God you know all the animals that Adam named uh, none none of those satisfied none of those fit Adam to marry or be equal with so he he took the woman from the side of the man and uh, she was and helped meet so she would uh, well, she was fitting for him and that's what it's saying here that Pam read that if we purge ourselves we'll be meet or we'll be ready we'll be fit for the master's use and so that I just like the uh, wording of that that it uses so let's, let's go back to Jeremiah now we are in Jeremiah 18 and we'll, uh, so my teaching point there, like Judah, the only thing we have complete control over are our choices. So the word choices goes in the blank. You know, we can't control the weather. We can't control what happens to us. We can't control other people. But we can't control our choices. We can't control how we respond. And so Judah had an opportunity here to be remade. They were, they were, they were marred. They were messed up. <laughs> And God's offering to remake them, and they they decline the offer. So choices. So this last section, eighteen through twenty-three, we'll read. Um, somebody read verse eighteen, if they would. Marcy, you got that again. Then said they, "Come and let us let us devise devices against Jeremiah, for the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise." nor word from the prophet. Come and let us smite him with the tongue, and let us not give heed to any of the words. This is a... The Jews are steeped in Bible understanding and knowledge, and so they're like... The law's not going to perish from the priest. The counsel's not going to perish from the wise. And the word's not going to uh, diminish from the prophet. Therefore, instead of listening to what and applying, they're going to kill the prophet. So they're going to shut him up. This is their this is their thing. So the word prophet goes in your blank there that uh, they knew that the law would not perish from the priest, the counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. So in order to quit hearing God's word, they were going to kill the prophet. So that they're devising a plot here. And, and this happened earlier on. Even people from his ho- hometown was going to kill him. So they were going to smite him so that they didn't have to hear or heed his words. Now... Uh, listen uh, somebody read verse 19 and 20 listen to Jeremiah's words and I've got I've kind of got a new twist or understanding of why he's praying so this last section is Jeremiah's prayer to the Lord and so somebody read uh, 18 and or I'm sorry 19 and 20 if they would 
Angie, you got it up here? Give heed to me, O Lord, and hearken to the voice of them that contend with me. Shall evil be recompensed for good? For they have digged a pit for my soul. Remember that I stood before thee to speak good for them and to turn away thy wrath from them. Actually, uh, just read all the way through the end of the chapter, if you would. Therefore deliver up their children to the famine and pour out their blood by the force of the sword and let their wives be bereaved of their children and be widows and let their men be put to death. Let their young men be slain by the sword in battle. Let a cry be heard from their houses when they shall bring a troop suddenly upon them for they have digged a pit to take me and hit snares for my feet. Yet, Lord, thou knowest all their counsel against me to slay me. Forgive not their iniquity, neither blot out their sin from thy sight. But let them be overthrown before thee. Deal thus with them in the time of thy anger. Yes, sir. You're calling it down. His prayer <laughs> is like, Lord, deliver their children to famine. Lord, pour out their blood to the sword. You know, let their wives be bereaved of their children. Let wives become widows. And so he, I hope we don't pray like that. Uh, I mean, we all have a... tempting. <laughs> so yeah, so they're trying to kill Jeremiah. Meanwhile, Jeremiah is praying like... Uh, so let me ask you this first teaching point here. Is this a harsh prayer or is he agreeing with God? Ooh, good point. He's actually agreeing with God. Yeah, so God has already pronounced this against them. Yeah. And so, because um, when we get to Matthew and Christ's words are, you know, to love your enemy and overcome evil with good and do good to those that uh, persecute you. And he says all these things. And, and yet Jeremiah is praying this uh, horrific prayer, you know, like the old uh, Western, you know, yeah. kill them all, let God sort it out. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point, though. I've prayed that some people that are adamantly, they're going to do it their way, which is the wrong way. I just pray that I'm not standing in the way when God's hand comes down. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's fine to pray God's will because there are things that are again, and we do want uh, the forces of evil to be ceased. And so, yeah, so that... We, we talked about this in some of the Psalms. They have what we call a precatory prayer where uh, you're actually praying for God's condemnation of some things. But uh, I think all of these Bible prayers are... When, when I read that this week, that this prophet is just agreeing with God, then it, it kind of helped me like, because we know Jeremiah is a man of God. He's his prophet. These words are recorded in our Bible for us. And so uh, I don't think that Jeremiah is necessarily sinning by praying such prayers. But uh, rather he's agreeing with God. You know, God, they he's, he's not praying. You notice he's not praying, God, you know, help, you know, deliver me or, you know, get me out of this mess. He's just praying for... Uh, what God has told him to come true. Yeah. When I read Jeremiah, especially like this, it helps me when I remember that Jeremiah wasn't written chronologically as things that happened in his life and things that he saw, etc. It wasn't that Jeremiah was God's 
spokesperson. He was God because he God uses men mm-hmm. you know, to proclaim. And so Jeremiah was doing that, proclaiming God's uh, mm. message mm. to the people. Yeah. So yeah, it it, it makes more sense. Mm. This uh, is Jeremiah praying this. Well, no, I Jeremiah yeah. is. Announcing God. Yeah, announcing huh. because God's was good. Yeah. Hmm. Well, turn here. Uh, we still got 15 minutes. Turn here to the New Testament. This First Corinthians 13. And I'll see if this makes sense. I don't know if, if we teach this as kind of a rule or principle of Bible study or not. I know I've heard it in past. But look at 1 Corinthians 13.8. And when we, you read it, you're going to say, well, Steve, why are we talking about this? But I hopefully it'll make sense. So 1 Corinthians 13. This is sometimes called the chapter of uh, love. And it's a lot of us quoted it at weddings, but in First Corinthians thirteen, verse eight, nine, and ten, it says, "Charity never faileth, but rather there be prophecies; they shall fail. Rather there be tongues; they shall cease. Rather there be knowledge; it shall vanish away." Then he says, "For we know in part." And we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be take shall be done away. And so in verse ten, uh, well let me give you your blank here. My teaching point here is the word double fulfillment. The word double goes in your blank. And the reason I use that is Judah did go into Babylonian captivity and and many did die by the sword and the famine but it's also a prophecy that God is going to do this again in the Jews time of anger in the tribulation so so when Jeremiah is prophesying he's there's a historically it happened like Jeremiah prophesied to the children of Judah they did go into captivity many did die but it's also prophetical about the coming tribulation period and that's partly why I chose this book you know th- this book <clears throat> is written about 5 or 600 years before Christ so so what we're reading here is 2600 years old right we're reading words that Jeremiah wrote 26 he was a real man he he really lived in Judah he was really prophesying and God had uh, called him to it and the the children of Israel did go into Babylonian captivity for 70 years like uh, he said they would but he's also prophesying about things that are yet future even now that the Jews do go through a tribulation and it's the time of God's anger it's when God pours out his wrath on planet earth and uh, we're seeing things like that even uh, so some of this helps give me hope because it, it does seem like uh, our country's going down the tubes and uh, and and Pam I don't know if you worked with uh, 
the uh, faith and family before was last night your first time? I've done it one other time. <clears throat> yeah, and I did it one or twice, but we probably had 50 counselors, and I would guess 50 or 100 people came back to, to be counseled. But as I remember, you know, we probably had 100 counselors the last time I did it, and there was more people came back last time I did it. So even churches are diminishing, you know, the cause of Christ. Um, and, you know, when I went through the training, the guy grabbed me afterwards and he, he said, you know, Steve, would you mind helping us set up on the field? He said, we could really use some more people. And uh, he said, don't feel pressured. But, you know, the Scott Dawson people had trouble getting enough people to roll the stage out on the field for the Christian con- I mean, wow. there, there's so many. And I, I kind of, it helped me see behind the scene. Cause I feel like our ministry is that way sometimes. Like we're trying to plug all these holes in the dam and, you know, keep ministry going, so to speak. Uh, that's probably not, that's probably wrong, Lord. Uh, but... But you know what I'm saying. I'm just saying, yeah. you know. Praying for workers. For yeah, I, I know. We don't have enough children's workers to. Yeah. You know, we have people working every week in there, and they never get to hear. They never get a sitting class. They never get to hear the mess. So, anyway, uh, the Lord will get His work done. Amen. But uh, so back to what I was here in First Corinthians, and we'll just kind of. Stay here. I was trying to lead up to why I picked Jeremiah to study, as I feel like it kind of pictures our nation. And, you know, we do have the founding fathers of our nation, and uh, we do have some Bible principles that have guided our country. And for the most part, people are kind of thumbing their nose at God. We're going to follow our own devices, our own imaginations. We're not going to believe God. And I talked to a guy this week. Uh, I got a good chance to kind of share my faith openly. We had kind of a group, a team meeting this week. Uh, I'm in a new group. Uh, as of July 1st, I'm in a new group at my job. And so there's about eight, eight people in this little meeting. And and most of us were new to the group, so the guy said, you know, tell us something about yourself and how long you've been here. And, and so I, I told the whole group, uh, you know, I'm a Christian and I don't really push that on people, but if you're open to it, I'm, I'm glad to talk about it. And that's really all I said. And a guy caught me in the hallway uh, the next day and, and he said, do you ever get persecuted for your faith? I mean, he I, and so we talked, and he's a Christian, and uh, he goes to a Wesleyan church over in Kansas. But um, anyway, it was just good. Uh, but both of us agreed. You know, we feel like persecution may be coming. You know, and uh, and so anyway, that that's kind of what uh, Jeremiah went through, and. Um, uh, so hopefully I explained a little bit about double fulfillment, but here in First Corinthians ten or thirteen ten, it says, "But when that which is in in that which is perfect is come." <clears throat> so a lot of people argue about this little phrase here: "When that which is perfect is come," and, and I see it both ways. Uh, some people would say that when the Bible was completed, that when the when the Word of God, all sixty six verses were put, or sixty six books, uh, that that's what the word Bible means is book of books. Uh, 
And so this is a book of books. And so at about 100 A.D., about 100 years after Christ, our Bible was completed. And so if you interpret that verse that when that which is perfect has come, that's, that's probably when tongues ceased, these gifts of prophecy, because there, di- there didn't need to be tongues anymore because we had the Word of God. And uh, somebody illustrated that to me, like if you're driving on I-70 to St. Louis, you might see a sign around Columbia that says St. Louis 140 more miles or 180 more miles. And as you get closer to St. Louis, St. Louis 33 miles, St. Louis 6 miles. But once you get to St. Louis, you don't see a sign that says St. Louis. I mean, so once you're there, you don't need a sign. And so if tongues and these gifts of prophecy, they were sign gifts, but when that which is perfect has come, they didn't need those anymore. And so, uh, but the reason I say that's kind of double prophetical, it's also a reference to when Christ comes again. He's perfect. The Word of God is is perfect. It's complete. But when Christ comes again, there, there won't need to. Uh, in fact, in in the in the millennium, it says, "Let no man say here is Christ, for everyone's going to know there's Christ." And so we won't need to witness in the millennium because Christ will be on the throne in Jerusalem. And <clears throat> so, does everybody kind of see what I mean by double fulfillment? When that which is perfect has come is a reference to the Bible being completed, but it's also a reference to Christ's return. He's coming, and He's perfect. And things that are in part now, we won't need then. Is everybody clicking? And it, it kind of applies with Judah because their enemies did take him captive. And uh, it's in the time of God's anger. And so that's what the, the tribulation period is also called, a time of, of God's wrath. And uh, anyway, <laughs> well, isn't that where some people get confused because they say, "Well, this has already been fulfilled." However, yeah, there's a double fulfillment for some prophecies because it's yet to come. Yeah, yeah. We call this double fulfillment, <clears throat> not confusion or yeah. And so that goes really good with what I feel like I tried to do today. I don't know if I did it or not, but we say, and Marcy, this may be new for you and Matt, but we say uh, there's three meanings or application to Scripture. There's a... There's a historical um, and and so historically Judah was marred they they were uh, in a in a, uh, idolatry and uh, and there's also a devotional <clears throat> and I tried to do that with with the the potter and the clay there's things about that clay that applies to us. God wants to work in us and keep us centered and He wants to form us and He wants to use us. So those are devotional. But uh, this is one thing that this church focuses on is a doctrinal like 
like what is the teaching here well the teaching is that God is not done with the nation of Israel he did give some non-conditional promises to Abraham that they're going to dwell in the land and uh, so the, 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 the tribulation period serves to purge his people and uh, bring them back to himself and so that so that's the sometimes called prophetical uh, anyway because I think I think all of us even before we came to Christ if we hear the word of God we're like there's something more there that I don't the Bible is more than just uh, words on a page. There, there. It's a living book. The, the Bible says it's quick and alive. It's more powerful than any two-edged sword, and it divides the thoughts and the intents of the heart, and it uh, can separate between the joints and the marrow. And so, uh, anyway, we we know that even, and it's really the only. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, I have not read the Koran or other religious books, but uh, I don't think that they really prophesy. They they might have some historical and devotional thoughts, but there's really no prophecy because Jesus, God, God, he knows the end from the beginning and everything in between, so he can tell about future events as if they've already happened. So uh, anyway, we got a we got a pretty cool book here and hopefully uh, you're all encouraged to read and study it and know our Lord more. So let, let's uh, close a couple minutes early. Any other thoughts? So, all right, well, I'll pray for us. Glad you guys joined us. Hope you can come back again. And thank you for joining us online. As always, Carol and Carol, hope you guys get better. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, I do bow my head and heart and I want to acknowledge you in all my ways. And Father, I lift up our foundation class here as we studied your word. Just these 2,600-year-old words are just uh, so relevant and lively. And we thank you for this illustration of the potter and the clay. And Lord, we do uh, pray you'll form us and help us to continue to remain uh, moldable and tender and uh, flexible and just uh, pray your water of your word will soak into those calloused areas and kind of loosen up some things and Lord we uh, want to be more like our your Lord your son Jesus Christ uh, and so Lord uh, just bless uh, our study today and Father be with uh, Pastor Brian and the others in the next service we just uh, commit ourselves to you afresh in Jesus name I pray Amen, Amen. I listened to a thing on artificial intelligence this week. I did too. And it's scary. Was it on Saturday on a bot radio? Yeah. I watched. I listened to part of it. Really? Really?